Hello, everybody. Welcome to the College Hoops Chat Show. I'm your host, Jim Maceno. We are your weekly college basketball podcast released every Monday night. You can find all of our episodes on our website, collegehoopschat.com. Plus, you can find College Hoops Chat on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please follow us there. Thanks so much for tuning in. All right, folks, we always start with the home team, and that would be the Iona Gales. We'll start with the bad news, and that is that last Thursday on social media, the Iona College basketball team did a post that Greg Gordon had left the team. Now, Greg Gordon was averaging 16 points a game and seven rebounds a game. He became the number one offensive weapon for the team. This is a huge loss. There's really no way to sugarcoat it. He had become integral into how they run their offense. He was the one who could score points in the paint. He's very athletic. He could rebound. It's an awful lot to lose. So everybody was curious what would happen this past weekend where Iona had two road games. Well, without Greg Gordon, they lost both games. They lost to Riders 78-75, to who they beat earlier this season at home. And they lost to Mount St. Mary's 72-65 to down in Maryland, who they had beaten earlier at home. These were tough losses. These were both games Iona really needed to win, but it was rough. So Ryder, they got down early. They did fight back and even took the lead at one point. But Ryder got their act together and they took back the lead and held on for the win. It was 78-75. Iona had a chance at the end, just couldn't get it done. Mount St. Mary's was an interesting game because Mount St. Mary's led for most of the game. Iona was down by one though, with about a minute to go in the game. But then for some reason, I don't really get why, they shot four three-pointers in the final minute and missed all. So rather than drive the lane, maybe kick it back out, maybe get a quick two, they tried to make four three-pointers in the final minute, made none of them, and lost the game. So folks, there's only one way to say it, and that is the Gales are in trouble. So they are now under 500. They're 13 and 14, and they've lost four of their last five games. This weekend, they have a tough game at home on Friday night. Quinnipiac will beat them earlier up in Quinnipiac. So this is a home game for Iona. Then Quinnipiac's 19 and 8. They're second place in the MAC. They're a good team. We'll see what happens on Friday night. And then on Sunday, they go on the road to play at Marist. Marist beat Iona earlier at Iona. They're 15 and 10. They're fourth place in the MAC. So um, it's going to be a tough weekend. Let's hope they can at least win one. I mean, break even. Of course, we want Iona to win both games, beat Quinnipiac and Marist. But at this point, the way the season's going, hopefully they can stabilize things. They can kind of step up the defense, get some turnovers, score off the defense, and find a way to beat either Quinnipiac or Marist. I think that's important for the team. So let's see what happens. Iona's currently 7th in the MAC. We want them to finish with a winning record at least, so that's why winning one of these two games this weekend would matter. Look, at this point, they're going to have to play four games over five nights in the MAC tournament because they've slipped down to 7th place. They're not going to have the opening round by, so this looks like the MAC tournament will start for Iona on March 12th, unless they can get really hot in the last four games. Folks, let me just be brutally honest. This may not be the year for Tobin Anderson and the Gales. We will see what happens. Happier news. I'm pleased with the University of North Carolina. Tar Heels, a team that I follow. They only had one game last week, but it was an important game. They beat Virginia uh, 54-44. It was not a beautiful game. Virginia games are never beautiful games. They play rugged defense and a slow pace, but they found a way to win. It was the first time North Carolina won a game at Virginia in 12 years. Yes, folks, since 2012. So it was a game they needed to win, and uh, they got the win. So right now, North Carolina is 21-6. and They're 13-3 and in the ACC. That's first place in the ACC. Note, they're playing Miami as I record this show. I don't know what happened in that game. 
They're number nine in the Associated Press poll. They're number nine in the net. You know, one thing I think that's optimistic for North Carolina in the tournament this year, I don't know if you know this, they are number four in the nation in Division One experience. So they have a lot of experienced guys, which I think is going to help them in the NCAA tournament. We've seen in the last few years, older teams have a little edge in the tournament. I think that's something going uh, for North Carolina. It's going to matter. So they got three games left, North Carolina. Home game against North Carolina State, but that's a rivalry game throughout the record books. That's always a hard game. They play home against Notre Dame. They should get that one. And then the big one, Saturday, March 9th, they play Duke at Duke. Should be a good one. All right, South Carolina Gamecocks. They only had one game last week, but they won. Key win, a bubble team, Old Miss. They beat them at Old Miss. A big road win, 72-59. to They're now 22-5. and They are safely in the NCAA tournament. But the Gamecocks have a big week coming up. They're playing two teams that are uh, in the tournament probably right now, but near the bubble. Wednesday night at Texas A&M, Saturday at home against Florida. Those are going to be tough ones. Hopefully South Carolina can at least get one win this week. Those are going to be tough games for the Gamecocks. Okay, let me turn to St. Bonaventure Bonnie's, the school that I attended. So inconsistent all season. A week ago, Saturday, they played against Davidson and got a really nice win. I started to believe in them again. And then they went on Wednesday this past week and played at LaSalle and stunk up the gym in a horrible loss. They got blown out 72-59. to So I turned on Saturday. They were playing UMass at UMass. UMass is a good team. So I wasn't optimistic after seeing the debacle in LaSalle. And then, of course, being the inconsistent team they are, the Bonnies, they played a great game on Saturday against UMass. They got a big road win, 75-67. to They're now 17-10. It's a pretty good record for a team uh, that drives me nuts. They only have one home game this week, and that's uh, Loyola Chicago. They're very good. They're 20-7, so let's see what happens. Maybe if St. Bonaventure can get on a little run here to close out the season, they can make the NIT, but doesn't look like they're making the NCAA tournament. Uh, unless they can find a way to win the Atlantic 10 tournament, which is not out of the question. Okay, next. Congratulations to the St. John's Red Storm. Huge win on Sunday. After all the Rick Petito drama prior to that game, uh, with Rick bad-mouthing his players and then taking it back and this whole national debate about Rick Petito and the Johnnies and then, of course, they got on the talk radio. Bottom line, they had their biggest game of the year on Sunday and they beat Creighton at the Garden 80-66. to They played great. They out-rebounded Creighton. Their defense was terrific. It was a gutsy performance. So I was really impressed with St. John's on Sunday. They're now 16-12. and 12. They have a game on Wednesday that's must-win for them if they want to make the NCAA tournament. They're playing at Butler, at Hinkle. It's a biggest game of the year. This past Sunday against Creighton was the biggest game of the year. Now Butler game is the biggest game of the year. So we'll see what happens. Uh, their final two games at DePaul and Georgetown, they should get those, but they got to beat Butler. And even if they beat Butler and beat DePaul and Georgetown and close out the season with five straight wins, I still think they probably need one more win in the Big East tournament if they want to lock up a spot in the NCAA tournament. So Johnny's have a lot of work to do. Let's see if they can get it done. All right, I just want to do a couple of quick updates on teams we've covered this year on the show. Florida Atlantic, you all remember them last year. They made the Final Four. Remarkable season. Everybody was talking about the Owls. My nephew goes there, so that's why we follow them on the show. A lot of people thought very highly of them coming into the season. They had a very good season. They're now 21-7. and They're second in the American Conference, 37 in the net. One negative, though, they hit a little bump in the last week. They've lost two of their last three games. They lost on the road to South Florida and Memphis. Tough road road games, but you gotta, you know, one thing we're learning from what the committee looks at to make the tournament, they want to see how you perform in road games. You can't just win at home. So those weren't good losses 
for Florida Atlantic. But they're currently in the tournament. They're projected as an eight seed by Bracket Matrix. But they're going to need to do well in these final games. They got three of them, Tulane, North Texas, and Memphis. Let's see how they can finish up the season, Florida Atlantic. Or maybe they even win uh, the American Conference, which certainly is possible. Okay, Syracuse Orange. They're currently 18-10. and 10. They're eighth in the ACC. They're currently not projected to be in the NCAA tournament. Their metrics are not good in the net. They're number 86. That will not get you into the NCAA tournament. The problem is that for Q1 wins, they're only 2-7, and seven, and they play poorly in a road to 3-6. and six. Those things jump out at the committee. They got three more games, Virginia Tech at Louisville and at Clemson. If they can win all three games... Maybe win a couple of games in the ACC tournament. Who knows? Maybe they can get on the map for the NCAA tournament. That's going to be a tough road for them. Look, I hope they can win 20 games. That'll be a solid first season for new coach Red Autry. So Dave Gerson, if you're listening, he's my law school buddy. Dave loves his Syracuse Orange. And I will tell you, he was very happy when Syracuse beat the Tar Heels back on February 13th. Good luck, Dave, in the rest of the season. Maryland, 15-13. and 13. This was not the season they expected at Maryland. Everyone thought they had a better team. They were projected to do better. They're 67 in the net. Quad one games are only two and eight. That's why they're not in the tournament right now. They have three games left. Northwestern, Indiana, and at Penn State. They could win all three, finish 18 and 13, but that's not going to be enough to make the NCAA tournament. However, uh, if they can get on a run in the Big Ten tournament, maybe get to the finals or the semifinals. Well, if they win it, they're in. But if they can get to the semis or the finals, who knows? Uh, maybe they can make enough noise to slip into the uh, NCAA tournament. So sorry to my friends, Jamie and Laura Huprich, uh, who are both Terrapins. We'll see how you guys finish up. And lastly, James Madison University. We covered them a lot this year. We got a kick out of them. We got their assistant coach to call into the show. Currently, they're number 50 in the net. That's very close to making the tournament, but they're not getting in according to Bracket Matrix, uh, which I think is ridiculous. Their record's 26-3. and I think they belong in the NCAA tournament, but they may need to win the Sun Belt Conference to get in. So hopefully James Madison can do that. All right, folks, that's my introduction. Let's go talk to our first guest. Okay, folks, we have a fabulous guest tonight because we are about three weeks from the NCAA tournament and everybody's thinking about who's going to get in. So we have a bracketologist, I'm told by Vinnie Preci, one of the best in the country, Brad Wachtel. Brad, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Jimmy. Three weeks away from Selection Sunday, and I can't wait. It's amazing, right? All right, so tell people how they can find you, because you're going to be doing a lot of tweeting. In the next three weeks, people should be following you. You can find me on Twitter, or actually X as it's called now, at Brad underscore Wachtel. That's spelled W-A-C-H-T-E-L. All right, great. So everybody follow Brad Wachtel on uh, X, and uh, you'll get some great scoop about the tournament. All right, first question. I have to ask, because as somebody who is a fan of mid-major basketball, as I mentioned to you, I grew up here in New Rochelle, so I follow Iona my whole life. I went to St. Bonaventure. I went to law school at Buffalo, which have, at moments over the last decade, been very strong mid-majors, all three places. So it's frustrating how the net treats mid-major teams. It's a, a real limitation for them. So tell me how much the net matters and what you think of it. Sure. So to me, I believe there, there's a little bit of a misconception regarding the net. I agree that the net... Many people believe the net is used to determine who gets into the NCAA tournament. It's just a piece of what goes on to a team that is trying to get into the NCAA tournament. So when it comes to the net, the net is pretty much a predictive metric, such as the net, Ken Palm, and BPI. Those metrics are determined more so for seeding uh, as opposed to who gets in. We've seen teams with a net get into the NCAA tournament um, in the 70s. Um, and then we've seen teams with a net in the 40s that miss out on the NCAA tournament. So it's just a piece of your resume. 
and I wouldn't go crazy over it. I don't disagree with a lot of it, mainly because we don't know exactly what the formula is for the net. That's something that the NCAA has kept from us, um, which is which is very annoying. Um, but I wouldn't get caught up with it. I agree because I'm not even a Seton Hall fan, but I like feel they've been totally discriminated against by the net. And you're a Jersey guy, right? I am a Jersey guy. <clears throat> and so for Seton Hall's case, their net has been in the mid-60s for quite some time now. Not a great spot to be in, but the great part for them is their result metric. Their strength of record is top 45 in the country. Solid. Um, they have seven wins um, over quad one and two opponents. They're, they have five to one wins. They beat the two best teams in the Big East. They're in good shape. Now, the only area where the net comes into play and those other predictive metrics is seeding. They need to get those metrics up a little bit if they want to get out of playing in Dayton for sure. Um, and right now I have them outside of Dayton. I actually have them as a 10 seed at the moment, but they do have two tough games coming up against UConn and Creighton. Now, we don't expect them to win each of those games. They probably, there's a good chance to go 0-2. But for their sake, for the metric, how you play affects your metric. And if you're if you're Seton Hall, keep those games competitive. If you're losing by 30 points, it's going to give you, it's going to, your metrics are going to take a big hit. Next thing you know, you might drop down a seed. So my word of advice to them, keep those games close as possible, be competitive. And even if you don't win those games, it'll keep your metrics in check. To me, for Seton Hall, so I, my next question was, let's talk about the big East five bubble teams, but so you just handled Seton Hall, who I agree, they're 18 and nine. You know what I think stands out for them? They're 11 and five in the Big East, which is one of the best conferences in the country. That really jumps out as a team that's beating their peers, uh, beating the teams that know them well, and they go out and beat them. I think that's pretty impressive. Um, the big game for them, though, right, is going to be Villanova. You mentioned the two hard games on the road, Creighton and UConn, and they're going to be rough. But then they got Villanova at home. That's a game they should really win. They need to win that game, and it kind of locks it up for them, right? Yeah, so uh, this is how I see it for Seton Hall. If they can get, if they beat Villanova, now remember, their last game is against DePaul. You don't want to lose to DePaul. DePaul is, we're talking about the net, DePaul is 300 plus in the net. That would have a large impact on Seton Hall, who's a bubble team at the moment. So assuming they can avoid a loss to DePaul, if they beat Villanova, they'll be in. No questions asked. I think they can still get in, even if they lose at Creighton, at UConn, even if they lose to Villanova in a close game and then beat DePaul, I think they still have a chance to get in. But at that point, we're going to have to see how the rest of the bubble plays out. Let me just ask one question I was going to ask in the opening and I forgot, but it works in perfect here. I see some confusion over the years with bracketologists and then the final result on Selection Sunday with the games and conference tournament. It almost seems to me that the games on Thursday and Friday count more than the games on Saturday, Sunday. Is that a fair statement? That is a fair statement. And that's what we've seen um, throughout the years. Thursday and Friday games do matter, but when, once we get to Saturday and Sunday, and the NCAA will disagree with this. They say every game matters. But what we've noticed, not only with teams who are getting in, but with seeding. So if a team might get a, a, a monster statement victory on a Saturday, you know, maybe that's the, the semifinals of their conference tournament. It's not really changing their seed very much, which is unfortunate because it should. Every game should matter. But yeah, Thursday and Friday games are the important games. After that, not a whole much is going to be changing in terms of seeding or even inclusion unless it happens to be a team that's winning uh, a conference tournament. Right. And so Seton Hall might have one other big game at Madison Square Garden that's going to factor into all this. No question. So if they happen to lose the next three, beat DePaul, and then let's say they play another tourney team, maybe they play like a Providence or whoever they play in their, as their first game, depending on obviously the buy situation and, and all that, um, they have another opportunity to get a win over an NCAA tournament team. Right. All right. 
All right, so let's go to the next team, and that is Providence. Now, in in my humble uh, review, I've had both Seton Hall and Providence in. Providence on paper, again, 18 and 9, 9 and 7 in the Big East. They're 8 and 9 in quad 1 and 2, um, but they've got a tough game coming up at Marquette. And then they have Villanova, and they still have a UConn out there, and a Georgetown they can't slip up on. So they still have a tough road ahead of them, Providence. But I think, first of all, what they've done after losing their best player to injury is unbelievable, in my estimation. But And did they, did they factor to that in all the committee that they personally severe, difficult situation, Providence? So I think the, what, what they factor in is they like to see how they played with, without Bryce Hopkins. And I think it's pretty clear that this team has the, looks like, aside from that one game at Villanova where they got blown out, this team looks like an NCAA tournament team. They have that look and feel to it. And they've also beaten some teams that are going to be in the field, um, which I think is, not not I think, I know is something that the committee wanted to see. I mean, they ended up beating Creighton. They won at Seton Hall. You know, St. John's is a bubble team. They beat Butler. Their wins prior to the injury were over Marquette and Wisconsin. Those still count, but they want to make sure that Providence is still at the level of being an NCAA tournament team. I think they've proven that. However, as you said, their last four games at Marquette, Nova, at Georgetown, UConn. I think if they win two of those games, I think that's a reasonable ask. They can beat Nova at home and win at Georgetown. I believe they will get in. Three games, they're a lock. If they only win one game, I think they're going to be in trouble and it's going to be how they do in the Big East tournament the first night or two. All right, so let's jump to a team that's different than Seton Hall and Providence. In my mind, Seton Hall and Providence are the tournament teams by my eye test as a fan. And yet, Ken Palm and the net love Villanova. Now, I get Villanova the 50th best non-conference schedule, so I get that. It's better than Seton Hall and Providence. But other than that, Seton Hall and Providence have a lot better stats than Villanova. So they have better numbers as far as in the quadrants go, and for, as far as quadrant one goes. Um, and they also have fewer bad losses. Villanova has three bad, bad losses. But here's the thing with Villanova. <clears throat> they have arguably the two best wins of, of those teams. They beat North Carolina on a neutral court. They won at Creighton, and they beat Texas Tech on a neutral court. So those three wins, the committee values wins away from home more than anything. So Villanova has proven themselves that they are capable of beating those top tier teams. They have also proven that they can lose to anybody by having those three quadrant three losses. So for me, when it when it boils down to Villanova, they have they just need they need win. They just need wins. It doesn't matter who it's against. They're only three games over 500 on the season. They're 15 and 12. They finish with Georgetown at Providence, at Seton Hall, and Creighton. So if they win three of those games, they will be an NCAA tournament team. Because that then they're a few games over the 500 threshold where it's not going to be a, a, a major issue. Um, typically, if you're three games over or less of over 500, you have a, you're going to have a hard time of getting into the NCAA tournament. You see a lot of teams get in who are um, under 20 wins. And it looks like Villanova may just be under 20 wins, but you're saying the other metrics might still get them in even if they're 18 and 19? Are you saying that? So, so yeah. So I think that the key wins are huge. And we talked about predictive metrics before, which Villanova is very strong in, but their result metric. So the strength of record is a re- uh, result-based metric. And right now, Villanova is 59. So, you know, as a fan, as a casual fan, you might not know what 59 means. So, for example, last year, the team with the worst strength of record to receive an at-large bid was Pittsburgh, and their strength of records was, was 54. So Villanova is still not in a very good spot with their strength of record. Um, so they, they have work to do, and they need they still need
need to get some more win. But as far as their predictive metrics goes, yes, they're in a very good position. But pr again, predictive metrics do not determine who gets into the field. So Villanova wins two games of these last four and then loses in the first round of the Big East tournament. That means they'd have 17 wins. They probably don't get in. They probably won't get in. I, I agree with that. Be there's just so much things, so many things that could happen, including bid stealers from smaller conferences, teams that are going to get in that weren't supposed to get in. So there's, there's so much that could happen. And yeah, so we're saying if Villanova finished two and two and then lost in the first round, they'd be 17 and 15 overall. People would be up in arms if they got into the NCAA tournament with that record. I agree. All right, let's jump to Butler. Now, I had Butler in on February 10th when they beat Providence. I'm like, they're going, Butler's in. And then they lost four in a row. They didn't lose the bad teams. They lost uh, Marquette and Creighton at home, and they lost to Villanova and Seton all on the road. But it seems like they've now dropped kind of out of the tournament. They're probably a, a true bubble team right now. Is that fair to say? Yes. Uh, and right now I have them in my next four out categories. So they were they were safe. They were a nine seed a few weeks ago. They were safely in. They have the high-end wins, including at Marquette and at Creighton. They also have a, a couple of non-conference wins that are strong against Boise State on a neutral court and Texas Tech. They had so many good things going for them. But like you said, they went into a lull and they've, they've lost a ton of games in a row. They're just 3-11 and 11 against Q1 opponents. They've played more Q1 opponents than anybody in the country. But that Q1 win percentage, when you're a high major team, the committee pays attention to the Q1 win percentage. It's not just total Q1 wins that you accumulate. Now, for Butler's sake, they finished with a very reasonable schedule. They have St. John's at home, at DePaul, and Xavier at home. They're in a position where they need to win out to have a shot. Uh, and, I, and I think that will give them a shot. They might need three wins plus one in the Big East tournament. They have the top end wins, like I said. They have a top 50 strength of record and five wins over the field. So if, if they can get to 10, 10 and 10 in Big East play, they'll be right there for a bit. I agree. Um, I hope Butler gets in because I like the season they had because they shocked everybody. And that's a good thing for the sport. See a team kind of rebuild under an excellent coach and then play really well. So I hope they get in. They certainly can beat St. John's, DePaul, and Xavier. But let me just take an aside here as a New Yorker and say uh, St. John's playing at Butler is now a massive game this Wednesday night. Without without question. And and for me, St. John's playing at Butler is a play-out game. A lot of times people use the phrase play-in game. I think the loser of that game is done. I think the loser of that game is going to need to win the Big East tournament in, in order to get an NCAA tournament bid. So for St. John's sake, they need to win out as well. They need to win at Butler, they need to win at DePaul, and they need to beat Georgetown. And even with just winning those games, they need more help. They need Villanova to finish strong. They need wins over tournament teams. That's a big thing that the NCAA selection committee looks at. Right now, all they have is Creighton and they have Providence. Those are the only two wins over tourney team. Utah on a neutral court is a bubble team at, who's currently on the outside looking in. Butler is a bubble team on the outside looking in. And Villanova is right now up in the air. So if Villanova can finish strong, and I understand they're both competing for one of those last team ins right, right now, um, but we're still a few weeks away. So let Villanova finish strong, St. John's finish strong, win a game or two in the Big East tournament, and they have a they have a good shot if Villanova could finish strong. Because that, that's basically doing work that they already did that will really, really enhance their resume. I agree. I think my take on St. John's is they need to go 3-0 and in the rest of the regular season for the Big East. It's certainly doable, although Butler at Hinkle's hard. That's not an easy game. I mean, they should beat DePaul and Georgetown, of course, although they didn't have the easiest time with Georgetown the other night at Georgetown. The next time it's home. But let's figure they beat DePaul and Georgetown. I don't know if they beat Butler on Wednesday night. That should be a really good game. But I think even if they win all three games, they may have to win one game in the Big East tournament, too. I St. agree John's. with that. I, I totally 
totally agree with that. You don't want to lose out, you know, depending on what seed they get. Like, who are you playing in the first round? Are you playing another NCAA hopeful? I mean, first of all, you want to win that game because you could use another win over the field. If you're playing a team that's at the bottom, obviously, if you lose that game, you're you're in big trouble. Big trouble. All right, I'm going to say a team and just give me a quick thought on that team. All right, we already did the Big East teams. Old Miss, they got beat up by my South Carolina Gamecocks this weekend. Seems like they're falling back a little bit. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, Ole Miss is definitely falling back. I mean, they, they were in good position a couple weeks ago. Uh, in, in terms of Ole Miss, like what they have going for them, they have a strong strength of record. So their strength of record right now is top 35 in the country. But unfortunately for their sake, that's really all they have going for them. They're, they're 0-5 against Q1A opponents. Q1A opponents are teams that are top end of the, of the net. So they've had major opportunities against really good teams and they've failed in every one of those. Right now, they need to finish strong or else they're not making it. And right now, it's not looking particularly good for them. All right. Next team I want to mention, can Drake get an at-large bid as a mid-major team? So I think it's possible, but not likely. Um, especially Drake lost recently. They were they, they had been, this stat, they were 5-2 and two against quad 1-2 and two opponents before their previous game that they just lost, which is an excellent record. They had a top 50 net. They had a strength of record that was top 55. But after they lost, their numbers took a hit. I don't see it happening for them. I believe the Missouri Valley, including Indiana State, I believe it's just going to be a one-bid league. Okay, next. I think on my eye test, it's an NCAA tournament team. You've got all the data. Tell me what you think. With their big win against Duke, I'm talking about Wake Forest. Yeah, I have Wake Forest as in the field right now. Uh, Wake Forest was waiting for another big-time victory. They now have wins over Duke, Virginia, and Florida. Those are three solid victories. Virginia is more of like a bubble team, but beating Duke and Florida are, are very good wins. They don't have any bad losses on their resume, which is important. Their metrics are strong, especially for a team that's considered on the bubble. They have a 45 strength of record. The one downside for Wake Forest, and this is pretty significant. They are only just 3-9 and nine in road neutral game, and that's one of the worst records of any team in the field currently. So get another win or two away from home, and I think they'll be in pretty good shape. Oh yeah, I like Wake Forest. They're a good team and they're getting better, and they have a pretty easy road the rest of the way to get more wins. Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, and Georgia Tech. Assume they can get through those three games, but uh, then they have Clemson last game will be a tough game. By the way, they I'm reading that right now, although you just put Wake Forest in, so it's five, but some people were saying there was only maybe four teams from the ACC, North Carolina, Duke, Virginia, and Clemson, but maybe Wake Forest too. But that's is that the ceiling, five? I think five is the ceiling, yeah. And right now, Virginia and Wake Forest are both on the bubble. I mean, Virginia was another team, kind of like in the in the Butler mold a little bit. They seemed to be very safe a couple weeks ago, and now they've, they've had some horrible losses uh, lately. They lost by 34 points at Virginia Tech uh, last week. And, you know, yes, a loss is a loss, but metrics factor into how you're do how how you seeded and whether or not you're in the NCAA tournament. And for, for Virginia's sake, their predictive metrics are not in a very good place right now. And they're just three and four against quad one opponents. They're under 500 against quad one and two opponents. So they've slipped for me and they've actually slipped all the way to the last four in. Um, they could still have, they still have time to write the ship. And I think ultimately they will get in, but it's starting to get a little dicey for them. And I'll tell you this, I watched North Carolina at Virginia on Saturday, and it was painful to watch that game. That was not exactly 
Early in the day, I saw Houston and Baylor play this terrific, amazing basketball game. Then I watched uh, UNC at UVA, and it was something out of the 1950s. Exactly. No, it was... See, see Virginia has... Their, when they lose, they get blown out. Every single one of their eight losses has been by double figures. Um, and a lot of them have been blowouts. So, and, and we know Virginia over the years, offensively, they're... It's like, you know, it's like pulling teeth. It's it, We're winding down. Although, let me just say, you have a listener on a show whose son, like you, is a master manager of Virginia. So we still, we still love the Cavs on this show. One of our listeners, the Shields family loves the Virginia Cavaliers. Okay. And you Got were it. there as a manager. You know what an important job that is. Point out that Brad was the manager of the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. I was the manager of the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. And I know everything that managers go through, the most underrated position out there. And uh, I loved every moment of it. Great experience. All right. We'll have to go through this quickly because I have only two more questions. This is the first of two. It seems to me that Texas and Gonzaga are higher in all these brackets than they should be. I think there's a lot of teams we just talked about that are on the bubble that are better than Texas and Gonzaga, and yet everybody seems to have Texas and Gonzaga. And by the way, you just taught me to take a close look at how badly teams lose. On the last two Saturdays, Texas got blown out of the gym by 20 points, and yet they're still going to the NCAA tournament. They're still going. They're a 10 seed for me, but they've they've dropped. They've dropped, and their their metrics have dropped too, and they're obviously 6-8 and eight in the Big 12. Conference record doesn't matter when it comes to selecting NCAA tournament teams. But the thing that gets it for me with Texas is their ability to win away from home. Winning at TCU, at Oklahoma, and even at Cincinnati, who's a bubble team, to go along with, with beating Baylor at home and you know even Kansas State, who's on the bubble at the moment as well. It's still strong enough where they're still hanging in there. But you know the, the way the Big 12 is, you could go on a losing streak and they could get they could knock themselves out pretty quickly. But they're still 4-7 and seven against quad one opponents with the top 40 strength of record. They're still okay, but not safe by any means. I, I probably can go on longer on that, but we're gonna we're gonna go to our next subject uh, because to me Texas doesn't look like an NCAA tournament team in the last few weeks. That's all I'll throw out there. Okay, I attended St. Bonaventure. They are in the Atlantic Ten, but it seems to me, looking at all these bracketologists like yourself, that the only way there's going to be two bids out of the eight ten is if Dayton doesn't win. Is that true, or does like a Richmond or Loyola Chicago have some kind of outside shot? No, that's true. The eight ten will only be a, a one bid, bid league if Dayton. Happens to win uh, their conference tournament. Um, Dayton right now is a projected six seed. It's the funny thing about Dayton too is their their resume was a lot stronger. You know, maybe a month or two ago when they held wins against St. John's and Cincinnati on neutral courts. But right now, both of those teams are not going to the NCAA tournament. So Dayton actually doesn't hasn't beaten any NCAA tournament team. But in terms of Richmond and Loyola Chicago, no, unfortunately, they don't have the the resume that's good enough uh, to get a bid. Um, I would say Richmond is close. They're six and five against quad one and two opponents and they beat Dayton of course but other than that they don't have any significant victories I don't I don't see that happening okay so I'm gonna do a wild card question and then we'll say goodbye give us a team that you think based on all your bracketology research can be this year's Florida Atlantic or San Diego State a team that's looking pretty good right now but they're gonna get on a run and wind up in the elite eight or the final four give me a wild card team based on all your research I'll give you a team I'll go with Colorado State um, out of the Mountain West um, Colorado State beat Creighton on a neutral court earlier this season. They're a team that has, you know, when you look at metrics alone, they're top 30 in the net. They're top 30 in Ken Palm. Now, not a lot of people particularly love the net 
or Kempom. Those are predictive metrics, figuring out how teams are going to do. Colorado State is a team, they have they have strong firepower. They've been in the NCAA tournament recently before. They they beat, they have wins over San Diego State, Boise State, Utah State, New Mexico. They beat all the top teams in their league. But I think that win over Creighton, like for me, they have the experience, they have a they have the experience of getting a win over a top echelon team. So that's my team. If they could get, right now I have them as an eight seed. If they could get onto the six or seven line, I, I would feel much better about that situation. But I'm going to go Colorado State right now. I like Great choice. All right. Brad Wachtel, great job. Everyone should follow you on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, and keep close track to all your predictions and thoughts on making the NCAA tournament. Uh, we may have to tap into your knowledge again before the uh, tournament, uh, but thanks for coming on the show. You did a great job. Thanks so much for having me, Jim. My pleasure. Okay, folks, it's time for the most fun part of our show, and that is the Kenny from Rye segment. Kenny, who's doing the show from bed because he had a recent uh, hip surgery, so get well soon, Kenny from Rye. Thanks, James. I'm ready to go. Good. All right. So this entire segment with Kenny from Rye is going to be dedicated to the most important games in this upcoming week, the second to last week of the season, regarding the bubble. All of these games are teams either right now just in or just out. So we're going to talk about the most important bubble game for the week, and we're going to start on Tuesday. There are two of them on Tuesday that matter a lot. The first game is Texas at Texas Tech. Now, one thing I'll tell you, Kenny from Ryan, is one thing Texas Tech doesn't do is lose at home. They're 14 and 1 at home this year. That's pretty impressive because they play in the best conference, the Big 12. So Texas Tech is terrific at home. They have their rival coming in, Texas at Texas Tech. Right now, Texas is a nine seed. Texas Tech is a six seed. I would say right now both teams are in, but what an opportunity for Texas Tech to kind of put a blow on Texas and kind of put set them back a little bit because Texas loses that game. They're now a nine seed. You start falling down to 10 seats. So yeah. um, interesting game, Texas at Texas Tech on Tuesday night. Two very good teams that are in the tournament right now. But Texas being a nine seed, they're in a danger zone. I agree. Your guest also brought up some good point about Texas, who I thought were over two, looking at these numerical polls uh, and also the seed at nine. But uh, he brought up a lot of good points in your interview earlier. And But we know Texas Tech is brutal at home. I watched them the other day against Kansas. So I'm looking at Texas Tech to kind of seal that win. That's a big win for them. You know, they're a six seed now that kind of locks in a great seed for them a great win at the end of the season that's a big game tomorrow night down in texas all right the other game on tuesday night which i find very interesting because all of us who cover college basketball we don't spend enough time in the mountain west that's for sure that conference is terrific they're playing great basketball and we got a game tuesday night nevada at colorado state nevada is 22 and 6 uh they are 42 in the net colorado state is 20 and 8 they're 27 in the net uh right now nevada's at 10 seed Colorado State's a seven seed. Nevada being a 10 seed doesn't mean they're in, right? They've got to do some more work if you're a 10 seed right now. What a win that would be on the road for Nevada. They could ever beat Colorado State. A lot of people are calling Colorado State a sleeper team for the tournament. Uh, but again, I'm going to give you this stat on each game. Colorado State doesn't lose at home either. They're 12 and 1. Exactly. And they were a darling team in the beginning of the year. I know everybody loved them. They got a great backcourt. Uh, Nevada seems to be the hot now. I know Rothstein pumping them. Uh, 
uh, up this week and expecting a great uh, Mountain West tournament uh, on the fact that it's also on their home court. So I think that's uh, obviously an advantage for Nevada as well. So I think that's going to be a great game. But as you say, Colorado State is home is different. Exactly. So uh, that's also be a great game to watch, folks. Forgetting about the bubble, that just looks like a, a terrific college basketball game. All right, we're going to Wednesday. First game is a game in the Big East that matters a lot because as our excellent guest, Brad Wachtell, told us, St. John's at Butler is not a play-in game for the NCAA tournament. It's a play-out game for the NCAA tournament. If St. John's or Butler loses this game on Wednesday night, they're out. They're not going to the NCAA tournament which puts so much pressure on both teams. But the big edge, of course, Butler's at home. They're 12-3 and three at home, although St. John's is coming off a thrilling win over Creighton. Right now, St. John's is out. Butler is out. But Butler's uh, closer to being in than St. John's, according to Bracket Matrix and the Bracketologist. What do you think of this one, Ken? Yeah, I mean, I think also it was a play-out game for St. John's the other day as well at home. That Creighton game must win, and they obviously took it to Creighton. Great game. Butler itself, I mentioned a number of times, have had been on a run. It seems to now have stumbled a little bit bit late in the year. So difficult. So I agree. Perfect way to put it. Play out both. Whoever loses the game is pretty much done for the year on its on their bid for the uh, an NCA berth. It's a good game to watch on Wednesday night, St. John's at Butler. Both teams are 16 and 12, by the way. So we think Butler has the edge at home, but the way St. John's played the other night, maybe they can go out to Hinkle and get a win. We'll see. All right. The next game I want to mention, because uh, talk about a knockout game. South Carolina right now, my son's college, let me put the advertisement out there. Uh, they're in. They're a seven seed. They're pretty solidly in the tournament. They're 22-5 and in the SEC. South Carolina is a good place. They're going to play at Texas A&M, who's 9-4 and at home. So not that great at home, the 9-4. and If South Carolina wins that game, that might be a playout game for Texas A&M. So like, South Carolina is in. Whether they win or lose that game, they could fall a little further back if they lose. But if South Carolina beats Texas A&M, who's currently an 11th seed versus South Carolina a 7th seed, according to Bracket Matrix, uh, that probably knocks Texas A&M to being one of the first teams out. Yeah, again, you summed up perfect for uh, USC or South Carolina itself. Uh, it's it's a game that obviously strengthens their current 7C for Texas A&M, kind of a, as you play out game. And South Carolina needs to get a win this week. You know, they have two tough games this week, South Carolina. We just talked about at Texas A&M. That'll be a hard game. Texas A&M is going to be fighting like hell to get in the tournament, so that'll be a great game. Then they got to play. Let's just do that one now, Ken, so we can do them together. The second tough game for South Carolina is at home, but a very good Florida team. They're both seven seeds, right? So I don't know which game South Carolina is going to win, but they better win one of them. They can't go 0-2 this week, or they're falling out of that seven seed for sure. Probably falling back to eight or nine seed. And then you start getting in dangerous zone, Kenny from Rye. So South Carolina's got two hard games. They better figure out a way to win one because Florida's very good. They'll have the home edge. They're 13-2 and two at home, South Carolina. So that's a game they should get, but Florida's good. Florida's a, sitting at 31 on the net rank and a seven seed as well. So there's kind of a push. You want to do it on a points perspective. And, and as you say, if SC goes 0-2 on these two games, that 48 rank, net rank comes 58 very quickly. And, and then you don't want to get into the situation where you're flirting with a 9 or a 10 seed because that, let's be honest, that puts you on the bubble. Because let's get that out there. I was going to say this in the beginning of our segment, Ken. Everyone needs to be aware that if you're currently seen as an 
11th seed in the tournament. That means you are one of the last at-large teams uh, to get a bid. That means that you're probably not going to go to the tournament because there's going to be some bid stealers. There's going to be a few schools uh, that get into the tournament because they win their conference, and there's another team in their conference uh, still going to get in uh, because they've got the metrics and the numbers. So bid stealers are going to knock out a few of the 11 seeds, Kenny. So that's a, a good example of what you just said. You don't want to get anywhere near 10th or 11th seed because then you're in the zone of bid stealers. Not a place to be. I agree. So let's do. Let's jump. You said Providence, the fighting Kenny from Rye, your alma mater. Talk about having two tough games. Not only does my son's alma mater have two tough games, South Carolina, your Providence Friars have two tough games. Two games that if you ever won both, you would seal your ticket for the NCAA tournament. If you lose both, you're starting to look a little bit outside the NCAA tournament. So the first game is Wednesday night. You're playing Marquette, number 12 in the net. They're a two seed. Right now, Providence 11 seed, which means you're barely hanging in there, Kenny from Rye. So you're going into play at Marquette, who's 13-1 and at home. Really tough game. But if your team could ever win uh, Providence at Marquette, that would be an enormous win for your team to make the tournament. And then comes Saturday. As far as I'm concerned, Kenny from Rye, your school, your team you love, the Providence Friars, that's a must win for you on Saturday against Villanova. Villanova is coming into Providence where you're 14 and 2. Everyone knows Providence great at home. If you ever had to win a home game, it's this Saturday against Villanova. You must win fighting Kenny from Rice. Yeah, I mean, from a perspective of uh, Providence going Kenny on Wednesday, which makes a very, very good game. Marquette looks like world beaters one game and then gets absolutely dismantled by Connecticut. So I'm not sure where they are. We know they're a great team. We know they're a great So that's a tough, tough game. As you say, Villanova fighting for their life. So it's kind of desperate team come Saturday. So you've got two net rankings of um, Nova 38, Providence at 55. But more importantly, their seeds are pretty much the same at 10.78 for Nova, 10.74 for Providence. Again, you mentioned is the bubble. Right. And for Villanova, they've got a tough road. They play Georgetown or, or this week, but then on Saturday, again, we just talked about at Providence, really hard game. Then they have at Seton Hall and Creighton at home. No easy games after this Georgetown game. The last three are hard for Villanova. So they're gonna be they're gonna be fighting with all they got to beat you guys at Providence. It's gonna be a great game on Saturday. Definitely tune into that one. Villanova at Providence. All right. Let's jump back to Wednesday because we jumped down to Saturday. Uh, one game we wanted to mention on Wednesday, which is interesting because Oklahoma is an eight seed. They're playing at Iowa State. I love Iowa State. They're a three seed right now. So we're not talking about Iowa State getting in the tournament. They're in. They're a three seed. What's interesting, though, if Oklahoma and the eight seed spot right now ever wanted to punch their ticket to the NCAA tournament, Oklahoma could lock it up if they can find a way to beat Iowa State on Wednesday night. The problem is Iowa State, who plays in the Big 12, the best conference in America, is 16-0 and at home this year. Kenny from Rye, how about that? Yeah, no, they're incredibly tough. I've seen highlights of them. But as I say, the ranking speaks for itself. Eight and net, 2.96 on the rankings. Let's call it maybe a two or a three seed. Uh, Oklahoma here, though, is really the big winner if they can pull off the victory here. As Brad mentioned, good point. Winning against a great team like Iowa State at Iowa State gives you that much more weight ranking, you know, really counts for a lot. Of yeah, I would say if Oklahoma could figure a way to beat Iowa State as hard as that will be, they're currently an eight seed uh, in the tournament. They'll probably uh, lock up their NCAA tournament if they win at Iowa State on Wednesday. All right, one last game. It's the exact same situation, Kenny from Wright. Seton Hall, very similarly situated as the Providence Friars, an 11 seed right now, is playing at Creighton. 
We all know how hard it is to win at Creighton. They're 12-2 and two this year at home. I was surprised they even lost two games at home. They're so good at home, Creighton. Um, Seton Hall is going out there. If Seton Hall beats Creighton, they're in the NCAA tournament. I think it's helpful. I mean, from a perspective of, you know, their schedule, their net rank 61. Uh, they're actually, their average 10.74 is exactly like Providence. But I think Creighton, as we've mentioned a number of times, probably one of the best home court advantages in the country sell out every game uh, Creighton seems to be almost a different team at home a lot of times so I think that's going to be a difficult one for Seton Hall but beating Creighton at Creighton again the weighting of that matter yeah I'm, I'm going to go on the limb here if Seton Hall beats Creighton they're going to the NCAA tournament unless somehow they collapse I mean if they just if they beat Creighton Seton Hall then they have at UConn that'll be a hard one but then they got Villanova and DePaul they're going to be in good shape Seton Hall if they ever upset Creighton yeah I mean you're banking on the one win against DePaul last game of the year uh, as you say you can maybe chalk up a loss at UConn and then kind of a push with Villanova. So it puts them in a good position. And again, as mentioned, winning at Creighton weighs a lot for them. All right, so now let's talk about a team that I find very interesting for the NCAA tournament because they're currently in, according to Bracket Matrix. By the way, every time we say in our segment here, a team is looking like a particular seed right now, that's coming from BracketMatrix.com, Gonzaga. Now, when I look at Gonzaga's numbers, I don't believe they belong in the NCAA tournament. And I'll tell you why, Kenny from Rye. They they are one and five in quad one games. So despite the fact they're 22 and six, they're one and five in quad one games, meaning every time they played a really tough team, uh, they lost except for once. So um, even though, you know, they, they do good on the metrics in Ken Palm and they do good with the net, uh, they are thir- 21 and 21 on both. Ken Palm and the net, they're 21. Teams who are 21 on the net and Ken Palm get into the tournament. They're an 11 seed right now. They have two games that matter, Thursday and Saturday. We're going to know about Gonzaga? Well, let me just back up, Ken. We're talking about Gonzaga as an at-large. They can still win the WCC tournament and get in. That's certainly a good possibility, right? They and St. Mary's are the two best teams, but we'll see one of them is going to win. But if let's say Gonzaga doesn't win the WCC. These two games coming up at San Francisco on Thursday night, that's a quad one game. They're currently out, but they're not that far out, San Francisco. But because it's a road game and they are 57 in the net, that is a quad one game. If Gonzaga beat San Francisco, what I'm citing right now, only one quad win, doubles to two. That game really matters. And then the grand salami for Gonzaga is Saturday. Their arch rival, their team that they battle with for the last few years has been so close, St. Mary's. It's at St. Mary's, where St. Mary's is 13-3 and at home for the year. 22-6 and Gonzaga at 23-6 and St. Mary's. What a terrific basketball game. Gonzaga's currently at 11 seed. St. Mary's is a 6 seed. That game right there is huge for Gonzaga. I want to see that game, Kenny. Yeah, I suffered from a little insomnia last week post the surgery and watched the entire St. Mary's uh, San Fran game. Uh, I will tell you, St. Mary's has probably got one of the better backcourts in the country from a perspective of not only controlling the ball, shooting the ball, running the tempo, and they're they're a very, very, very good backcourt team. And I think Gonzaga has 21 in the net. I was surprised, you mentioned, because of their quad one record, call it that. I was really surprised to see that, particularly because then it translates over to a seed of 10.83, which is slightly higher than Providence, which we call very much bubble. They are in a play-out game over the course of the next few weeks, I would I would expect, not only at San Francisco, uh, but more particularly at St. Mary's as well. Yeah, I would guess, just looking kind of at the lay of the land here, Gonzaga's going to need to win one of those two games. They don't have to win both, but they can't lose to both San Francisco and St. Mary's, but they're both road games. Uh, it's going to be an exciting week for Gonzaga at San Francisco, at St. Mary's. We'll see what happens. All right, it brings us to our last game, Kenny from Ryan, and that is Wake Forest 
Forest at Virginia Tech. Now, Virginia Tech is currently out, not that far out. They have pretty good metric, 56 in the net, 55 in Ken Palm. So they're a good team, but the game is at Virginia Tech. So you have Wake Forest at Virginia Tech, 18-9. Wake Forest was just upset to playing Virginia Tech. So that's going to be a quad one game for Wake Forest. Wake Forest has won, uh, let's see, five of their last seven, including beating Duke uh, a Saturday night. Saturday night. Um, so what an opportunity for Wake Forest. After beating Duke, they get to go on the road and get a quad one win on Saturday against Virginia Tech. That's a winnable game, but Virginia Tech is good. So they're 11 seed. This is a way for Wake Forest to kind of move up to a 10 seed, Kenny from Rye, if they can knock off Virginia Tech and get a quad one win again on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I think your your guest mentioned Wake is probably the last AC team in because of the fact of hot streak they've gone on on most recently. Virginia Tech, though, at home, as we know, maybe not the best year for them. Fifth, six, and then that great home court advantage. Uh, you know, because I think that would be an excellent win for Wake. Say, just improve their chance of being the last team in for the ACC in an at-large bid. Yeah, by the way, Virginia Tech is twelve and two at home this year. To back up your point of a good home court advantage, but you know they play Notre Dame on Tuesday. Wake Forest. Let's assume they get that win. If they can beat Virginia Tech on Saturday, then on the following Tuesday they play Georgia Tech. Another very winnable game for them. What a great spot they are going to be in. Right, they're going to be still finish the season probably something like 21 and 10 Wake Forest uh, they'll be in the tournament that's why this game against Virginia Tech is so important because you're going to figure they're going to beat Notre Dame and Georgia Tech uh, that would be five game winning streak going into the final game at home against Clemson so good stuff happening for Wake Forest they have a nice path to make the NCAA tournament agree I think they're going to be the last the last ACC team in they're going to want five or six teams in from the ACC let's be honest it's good for TV so with with them winning or getting on a hot streak here it justifies them getting it at large bid. All right, Kenny from Wright, we're done. What a fabulous job we just did going through the important bubble-related games this upcoming week. We gave you a roadmap to watch the most important games of the week. You should follow our schedule. I think you'll see some great basketball. Kenny from Rye, get well soon. Thanks for all your thoughtful points, and we'll talk again next week. James, I look forward to the week in basketball. Thanks. Thank you, Kenny from Rye. Thanks so much for tuning in to College Hoops Chat. I'm Jim Mastano, the host. We post this podcast every Monday night, and all episodes can be found on collegehoopschat.com or on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please join us again next Monday night.